Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily podcast on the Atlanta Hawks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 19 of the Locked on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, and today I have a special guest with me. Uh, he is a writer at Hawks.com, as well as an alumnus of several several other uh, writing sites around the internet. His name is K.L. Shinar. What's going on, man? Oh, not too much. Not uh, too much. Just living the dream here in the offseason? Absolutely. Uh, get some, some much-needed much time off from basketball, I assume? Yeah, I... I, my thing is uh, for the off season. I'm trying to play more basketball. Stay in shape, man. That's that's smart. I don't do enough of that myself. So that's uh, you're smarter and uh, better at that than I am. I'm sure. <laughs> um, you know, nothing super uh, super duper deep today. But I know we're both basketball nerds. We can talk some basketball uh, stuff. I wanted to start at the beginning of the summer, actually, uh, with all everything that happened in terms of like the, around the draft. Uh, the Jeff Teague trade, things like that. I was going to ask you, um, just before, you know, we, not necessarily perfectly in chronological order, but um, what what did you think of, of the getting the return for Jeff Teague of uh, the number twelve pick, which became Torian Prince? And uh, obviously, the big the big thing there with uh, Teague was that he was facing free agency, and the team had Dennis Schroeder behind him. But did you were you happy with that move from the Hawks' perspective? And what did you think about the draft takeaway uh, in general, getting uh, guys like Prince and Bembry and Cordinier, uh in the draft this year? Um, you know, I, I, I think part of it goes back to the fact that, uh, I want to say, was it the, was it the very same summer that Schroeder was drafted and Teague was, uh, signed by Milwaukee? I believe that is true. Yes. And so then that was, the timing was set up perfectly four years later that both those players were going to be free agents in the same summer, you know, assuming that Schroeder got the typical rookie extensions and such. So, you know, they were in that quandary where they knew summer 2017, if they held on to both of them, they were both going to be free agents in the same summer. And when you have two starting quality point guards, or at least that's what we think, then, then that was going to be tough to try to sign two players at the same position in the same summer. So you kind of knew they had to do something. Um, and, you know, they went with the younger player and, you know, maybe the, the better defensive player. And so now, we got to see what, what they can piece everything else together around that. Um, you know, as far as the return, it was a number 12 pick, right? Yeah, number, number 12. So a late lottery, but still a lottery pick. Even yeah. in a draft that wasn't great, that's not, not a bad return, I would, I would think. Yeah, given that their hand was forced a little bit, I, I think that's a, a, good, a good return. I was surprised that, that George Hill was, was in the trade. It uh, seemed like he... Maybe could have been a good fit for them, too. I don't know. Maybe he wasn't interested in coming to Atlanta. I don't know. Uh, or maybe his contract runs up in a season or something, and that would have just recycled the same problem. But Yeah, I think he's on, I think he's on the same timeline as T, which would have been the same issue, even if I think Hill could probably play a little bit more off the ball than Teague has ever been able to. But, yeah, they would have been facing the same problem with either having to extend uh, Hill uh, and kind of 
you know, having the same choice a year from now. So that's, that's probably – I would have liked to see George Hill actually in the Hawks uniform because I think he fits pretty well. But uh, that would have been the same uh, quandary they would be facing. But I like what they're doing. I mean, I like Prince and I like Bembry. And, and if you look at what happened in free agency over the summer, it's just so hard to get uh, a quality wing in free agency. And if you do, you're going to pay for it. You know, there's some value in centers. There's some value in the point guards. But if you if you want to try to get a wing on this market, man, it is tough. So it seems like they want to go with that strategy of sort of building from within. And, and that seems like a good strategy to me. Yeah, this is an organization now that's kind of been famous for that. They're going to be uh, they're going to grab their established price points. They're not going to go over their price points. I think you know signing Kent Bazemore this summer. They wanted they made they made Bazemore a priority, but it wasn't as if they overpaid on him when compared to the market. I think they got actually a pretty good deal on Bazemore. And I think if he had gotten a max somewhere, I'm not sure they would have just matched it. Uh, a lot of teams would just match it just to keep the asset. But the Hawks have kind of shown the propensity to kind of let guys go when, when the price point is uh, out of control. And you mentioned it with wings on the free agent market right now. It's, it can be out of control. Guys like Alan Crabb and Evan Turner got more money than Kent Bazemore. And Bazemore is a better player, and my, at least in my opinion, than both of those guys. So I think the Hawks got a, they got a good value there. But your point on the, uh, on the free agent market and wings is definitely – one that is uh, interesting and kind of affects, um, I think, affected their draft strategy too. And investing two, two first-round picks in wings, uh, neither guy is probably you know, likely to be a superstar player, but um, still guys who could be starters down the line and you know, at cheap contracts, there's nothing better than, than a rookie-scale guy who can play real minutes for you because of just, it's, the, it's the savings and the value you get from those guys. Yeah, and, and you know, they're older players, too you know they're not the 19 year olds we know that there's going to be a gigantic learning curve and there's still going to be a learning curve but you get the sense that the hawks don't really like to dabble too much in you know 18 year olds uh, unless it's a situation you know sort of like Cordinier where you know he's going to be stashed for a couple of seasons somewhere else yeah, I think that was, uh, and I, I've said this before too, where the Hawks, I say, I'm, I'm guilty of saying the Hawks don't like rookies, and that's not necessarily, I guess, the, the most accurate way to put it. I think it's important to note that they grabbed two guys who, you mentioned the learning curve, it's still going to have a learning curve, but it'll be a shorter one than, the Hawks don't really have, they're not famous for having a ton of patience for guys who are going to be 18, 19 years old and be that far away, but these guys, in Prince and Memory especially, are um, guys who could play uh, if they had to right now and not not embarrass themselves, there are there are you know growing pains with any rookie. But in a year or two, they're going to be actually be, be ready to play in the rotation. Whereas if they had taken a, a gamble with a a one and done guy, a more high upside guy, you'd have been waiting a long time. And this organization doesn't seem particularly interested in doing that, at least uh, with what they've done the last couple of years in the draft. Right. I think if you're going to paraphrase it, you might call it, you know, it's not that they don't so much that they don't like rookies. They don't like rookies who aren't going to be productive players by the time their rookie deals are done. Oh, yeah. And that's that's big. I think I'm, I'm guilty of this, too. But uh, people get seduced, seduced by high upside. But if it's too long down the road, you only have these guys under control for four years. And, you know, you don't want to be in a situation where you're projecting on their on their restricted free agency deal, because even if, uh, you know, 
usually there's there's some value to be had with restricted free agency in that there's only a max that these guys can get. I think with Dennis Schroeder facing restricted free agency, there's almost no scenario where, where he jumps out of the price range for the Hawks because if he plays well, they'll be w- more than willing to give him that, that lower max contract next year. Um, mm-hmm. But with these guys who haven't been able to prove it, um, by the time that, that is over, it, there's only so much value on that when you do, you're having to make a deal for you know an eight-figure amount per season on a guy who hasn't gotten there yet. Exactly. Um, you know, we talked a little about about Prince and Bembry on the whole, but I know I know you like me were locked in a little bit on uh, Las Vegas Summer League and were able to watch these guys. Uh, were you encouraged with Prince and Bembry and what you saw, even with guys like Eddie Tavares and Cordenier? What'd you see from these guys, and were you uh, overall encouraged with what you saw, given that you know it's Las Vegas, not exactly the best uh, evaluation tool, but there's a little things you can take away, I guess. Yeah, we didn't get to see uh, too much of Prince because he was, you know, inactive for those first few games. But you know, what was I thought was encouraging for him was that, you know, he looked like a player who could really handle the ball at some point. Um, you know, I, you know, when you talk about some of the players that the, the Hawks have had, uh, you know, as as big defenders over the years, like like uh, Damari Carroll, they haven't always been the, the best players to have the ball in their hands. Yeah, you know, Damari uh, kind of famously was enabled. It was why is Damari dribbling for the first uh, year, at least the first year he was in Atlanta. Every every time Damari put the ball on the floor, you were kind of terrified. Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> he had a ridiculous 2014-15 season that was so good. But, you know, I just get the feeling that Prince, you know, someday might have be able to have that type of season and have, you know, a season where he can do some things in the pick and roll as a ball handler. Yeah, for sure. I think, uh, and the Hawks kind of played into that with Summer League. He was handling the ball a lot in terms of as a wing, um, facilitating a lot. And at Baylor, look, he was he was a primary option. I'm not sure that's his best role, but as as a secondary offensive guy, he can score. I think you know you think college senior, and you immediately expect this guy to be a pure role player. And I think he will be a role player, but that doesn't mean that Prince doesn't have offensive skills. And he kind of put those things on, uh, on some display in Vegas to kind of take, you know, being aggressive, kind of being the go-to guy offensively when he was on the court. And that's, that's, that's fun and encouraging to see for people who hadn't seen much of him at Baylor. Yeah, it was nice to see the Hawks almost make him like the point guard for the last game. Yeah, he, uh-huh. ran, a lot, he ran a lot of it. So, and Bembry, too. Bembry had the ball in his hands quite a bit during Las Vegas. Yeah, and Bembry has a nice handle, too. You know, it's... He's got a lot of athleticism. Uh, you saw that just, you know, in bursts and spurts, you'd say, whoa, <laughs> kind of take you aback. I mean, he just, he looks like a player who, uh, you know, just needs to, to get his shot. Uh, you know, once he gets his outside shot working, you know, he's, I don't know that he's a size where he's going to necessarily like dominate a game, but he looks like he could be a productive NBA player as soon as he gets a shot together. Yeah, I like Benbury a lot, and I've I've said this before, but that dunk on Willie Cauley Stein was noteworthy. Not only because he dunked it, because but Willie Cauley Stein is like you know maybe the the best young rim protector in the league, like super young guy. Like if we're excluding Rudy Rudy Gobert, uh, you know Cauley Stein has that tool uh, to be a crazy shot blocker rim protector. And Benbury was uh, not exactly afraid. Went up and kind of put one on him in summer league, and that was uh, that caused a ruckus uh, in the in the building for sure. <laughs> it was fun. Uh, before we get off of that, I wanted to ask you about Eddie Tavares. I get a lot of questions about Eddie, uh, what you know, kind of where he's going to be uh, now and where he could be moving forward. What do you think about Eddie as sort of a rotation piece moving forward? Is that something that he could possibly grow into? I don't, you know, obviously his, his shot blocking is the big thing with Tavares, and he's a good rebounder as well. But do you, do you think he's uh, could be a legitimate, you know, backup center or rotation player in this league? 
Yeah, and I think you know, I think it's easy to get discouraged because I think when you watch him in the game, he's never going to be the kind of player where you put him in the game and all of a sudden the game is really pretty. Um, yeah, he's going to play sort of an ugly game, you know. Uh, it's not always going to look great, but you know, when he's in there, uh, you could see teams just kind of shy away from the hoop, and you don't even really always feel his presence unless you're paying attention to it. But it's almost like the shot chart for the opponents changes. They they kind of just stay away, and then they start you know shooting shots further from the rim, and it just kind of changes the whole complexion of the defense. So it might be a situation where you know Tavares comes in and you know the offense gets gummed up a little bit, and the opposing offense gets gummed up a little bit. But on the whole, as a, as sort of on the aggregate, you know he has an impact on games where it feels like even in sort of an ugly sense, the Hawks come out ahead by playing him. So. I don't know that it's ever going to be a real glamour game for him, but I mean, I think uh, you know he he could be a real positive for them, uh, just kind of as a defender in short minutes. You know, use your fouls, protect the rim, get opponents out of their rhythm on offense, and you know, I, he looks like he could be a good rebounder too. So you know, you put that all together, and uh, you know, I think it'll work well for them. And I also kind of like you know, you don't want too much redundancy, but I think the more that the Hawks get used to playing with Dwight Howard, I think it'll kind of help Tavares because they'll want the ball in the same spots. They're going to kind of rebound the same. I think that their styles of play match up in such a way that if they get used to playing with Howard, they'll be more apt to play the style that Tavares does. Um, you know, I, it just killed me. Like the only Hawk who could throw Tavares a decent pass all season seemed like it was Shelvin Mack. He'd get the ball <laughs> up high and Tavares could do something with it. And even in summer league, you know, the ball kept getting passed to his waist, to his knees, and it's like, no, that's not where you put the ball. Get it up where he can get it. And, you know, I think once you get used to that with Dwight Howard, that'll have a little rub-off effect and help Tavares too. Yeah, for sure. And I think uh, with Eddie, you mentioned the rebounding. I think that's an underrated part of his game. He had really good rebounding rates in the D-League. And, you know, those, those things don't always translate, but rebounding usually does translate fairly well. And, you know, everybody knows about the shot blocking and the rim protection with Tavares. But if he can be a, uh, an, a solidly above average rebounder, that would be huge. I was yeah, gonna, it's yeah, it's not something you always, you know, pick up on unless you're really sort of watching one player as opposed to watching the flow of the game. But, you know, for a 7-3 guy, you might think that, you know, when, when there's a shot up for a rebound, he might just try to go get it. But if you watch closely, he'll always turn, give his man a shot with a forearm and then go get it which is nice to see, and I think that really helps him as a rebounder. Because yeah. he doesn't have the greatest vertical burst, but he's tall, he's got that immense reach, and he always makes sure that he's got some leverage on his man before he goes to get it. I think Tavares has good hands as well. Uh, you know, they're massive, which helps, because uh, he's just that big of a guy. But he can go up. I've seen him grab some one-hand rebounds where he can just kind of snatch the ball out of the air. That's always helpful. But yeah, your point about him boxing out and kind of just getting getting a body, even if, even if it's just one touch on his man or another man, uh, just doing some solid rebounding things uh, is good. It's not just about being huge. Being huge helps. But uh, Tavares does take advantage of that size and uh, does some fundamentally sound things under the rim. I was going to I was going to ask you about Dwight Howard. I'm glad you you kind of bridged that for me. Um how do you think uh Mike Budenholzer and the staff are going to change their schemes on both ends with Howard instead of Horford? A lot of the talk's been kind of comparing those two guys together, 
but a lot of it's going to be schematic change, I think. I think Bud uh, knows what Howard can do and what he can't do versus what Horford did. Uh, how do you think that's going to change uh, on both ends of the court? But really, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're definitely varied on both ends with what those guys can do. But uh, do you think those are going to be sweeping changes? Is it going to look pretty similar in some ways and different in other ways? How do you see that happening? Yeah, I mean, I, I think on offense, you get the sense, and you, you know, especially from just listening to everybody within the Hawks organization that, you know, you just kind of expect a lot more pick and roll as opposed to pick and pop. Um, and I think that's sort of predictable. I think the the bigger question marks are going to come on the, the defensive end, you know, what's going to be the approach to using him on defense. Uh, but, but going back to the offense for a second, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting to see uh, how it plays out. You know, it, it would almost be nice to have Teague for a year with Howard just kind of as the blend, but you're going to have new point guard, new center. So you're, you know, you're the engine of your offense, those point guard center pick and rolls. That's going to be an entirely new tandem, and I think it can be really effective because of Schroeder's speed, his reach. He's you know he's pretty good with the pick and roll passes, and of course Howard's going to be able to play above the rim quite a bit. But then the question marks come in. You know how does the ball movement hold up? Um, you know when it was Teague, Millsap, Horford, and Corver, you knew that you know and whoever else was the small forward, you knew that the ball was just going to fly around with those four on the court. And now that you have Schroeder and Howard, you know, sort of in new roles, um, you know, if they have that pick and roll going and defenses have to commit to it, you know, the next question is if there's an open guy like Korber, because that's really what you want out of your offense, does the ball get to him? Yeah, that's it's going to be interesting to see, especially with the spacing. Corver, I've I've said this over and over again on the podcast, but I think Corver is the is the one and only guy who you absolutely know is going to be an above average three point shooter. There's there's some other guys who I think can certainly do that. Guys like Bazemore um, are on that list, but Corver is your one knockdown guy. So I think spacing could become an issue, especially if the pick and roll is not as you said, clicking, you know, perfectly right away because you're dealing with two guys who, have, who haven't played together at all and they are, you know, the pillars of that pick and roll with Dennis having the ball in his hands the great majority of the time and Dwight being uh, an ideal partner for that, at least in theory. Um, I worry a little bit about, you know, the offense kind of molding into Dwight um, taking too many post-ups. Is that something that I should be concerned with? I know that's a question I get a lot is, you know, is Dwight going to post up all the time like he did in Houston? Um, I'm a little worried about that, but I also think that Bud doesn't really love that. Do you think that's a concern we should have, that you know Howard shouldn't be posting up as much as he's going to want to? Do you think it's going to be more pick and roll than anything else? Um, I, think that, I think that you'll see a lot of it uh, maybe early in the shot clock if they can get it. You know, if he can kind of you know, do that sprint down the court and pin a man right under the basket – um, you know, those kind of fast breaks, he's, you, you see some of that even with like Tavares in summer league where, you know, he'd sprint down the court, straight down, beeline right down the middle of the court. And, you know, if he got a man on his back, he'd just make that quick setup. And if it was there, you know, he could get a pass to him and, and try it. And if not, you know, then you go into the rest of your offense. Uh, but I guess, you know, one more thing we should say about the offense is I think that, you know, Howard's presence as a rebounder is really going to help the Hawks on the fast break. Um, you know, I think... Uh, Baysmore really has the the game to be sort of an elite fast break player, and maybe we haven't seen it as much over the last couple of seasons just because rebounding's been such an issue. Um, but when he was on the Lakers, he was like a devastating fast break player, just shot I, of a cannon, right? Just just getting out and 
using athleticism and speed because he's so he's so fast, man. Yeah, I mean, he he, you know, if you if you if you're sure about the rebound and you can get a run out here or there, I think that you know, that's going to be something that could be a, a big positive for the the Hawks that they haven't had recently. Yeah, they want to push pace. Budenholzer always says that over and over again. There's been times where I've kind of laughed at that because the Hawks just didn't, weren't playing that fast. Um, but I think that does help that you mentioned if you, if you can control the defensive glass better and get that helps you get uh, kind of know ahead of time that you can go ahead and push um, where you're less concerned with you know gang rebounding at that level with all five guys that you've had to do in the past. Now, if you can re- rely a little bit more on Howard. Um, to sort of anchor that that part of the defensive uh, side of the ball that can help guys like Bays, uh, even Hardaway Jr. You know, Schroeder's light, lightning fast too, and he'll he'll take it and go. He's not afraid to push. Um, that will help, I think, with the pace that Bud always preaches that they want to play fast, and they have it sometimes, but sometimes they've been, they've been unable, unable to do that. A lot of that for me was probably you know Jeff being sort of a sleepier player at times, so he can, can, can kind of get logged into. Um, just a bit of a, a lull offensively, but with Dennis and uh, that improvement in rebounding, that could be really important into uh, pushing pace. Uh, you mentioned the defensive stuff with Howard. What do you think is going to change with him in the middle versus Horford on that end? Oh, I was going to ask you that. I mean, I feel sort <laughs> of uncertain about it. You know, I do. Too. It seems like in the last couple of seasons, you know, they've had this immense defensive flexibility where they can switch anything. You know, they can challenge shots. You know, from anywhere, not just sort of at the rim, but also on jump shooters. And I think, you know, they're going to they're gonna have to do some things where they, you know, try to keep Dwight more in the middle and funnel people to him. And they're going to have to try to stay out of switches and, and things like that. It, it, it probably do less trapping. I, I don't know. I don't have this great feel for that part of it yet. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not afraid of the, of the defensive end necessarily because I trust Bud on, on defense, especially with the way he's been able to mold this group over the last couple of seasons, last year, you know, famously finishing number two in the league in defensive rating, but there's going to be, there's going to be some changes. I mean, one of Horford's best attributes is his ability to just cover ground and be one of the rangier centers in the league, you know, flying out to show on pick and rolls, that kind of stuff. Whereas Dwight at his age now is probably not going to be doing as much of that. Uh, but he's also, you know, a, a better pure shot blocker than Horford's ever been too. So it's one of those things where they're going to have to just change the way they do it and funnel and, Dennis can be helpful with that because of his, his length and his athleticism, I think, at the top. If Dennis can be engaged a little bit more. I think Jeff unfairly got killed for his defensive time. I thought he was pretty good uh, at least two years ago. Last year, not, not necessarily as much, but not a bad defensive point guard by any stretch. But I think Dennis's upside is very real on that end. Um, so getting him, getting stuff filtered, funneled down to Dwight, as you said, it's going to be uh, important, but I, I'm just a little bit wary of, uh, especially early in the year, while these, uh, you know, the, the Kings get ironed out in terms of what they're going to do schematically, because that was the big advantage the Hawks have had the last couple of years is they were kind of just on a string on on defense, not necessarily the talent, but more often the uh, just the scheme and kind of executing it perfectly. And now that there's a new a new body in the middle there, and even even Dennis at the point guard spot at the top of the attack defensively, it's going to be some uh, some learning curve I think with those guys playing together. Yeah, I agree that, you know, it was, it was the cohesiveness over the last 12 months, you know, even putting in Baysmore for Carroll, they just seemed like everybody knew where they were supposed to be. They read everything, you know, as quickly as you could read it. And they just seemed like they were always in the right places. And, you know, with new people, that's, that now becomes a question mark just because it's, there's no longer that continuity. But I, you know, with, with Teague and Schroeder, you're right. Two years ago, Teague was a pretty good defender. You know, he probably had some health issues last year. 
made it a little bit harder. But Schroeder, you know, he it just has a little bit more in the physical tools. His reach is so much longer than what Teague's is. Yeah, Dennis I is think, so long for a point guard. Like, you don't notice till you stand Even You can sort of notice it on TV, but when you stand next to him, like, his arms are just so – he's so long. Yeah, it's not even in the height. It's like in the, in the, the reach, and, he, you know, it's just – he seems like he could be a really good defender. It's going to be interesting to see, you know, with that top job now, doing it, you know, 34, 35 minutes a night, you know, is he going to be able to to make that work for him? Yeah, I'm a little worried about that early on as well. And Dennis has kind of been able to, a lot of times, get, get by on his uh, supreme athleticism and length defensively. But now he's going to have to pace himself a little bit more, play more minutes. I worry a little in year one of that that he's going to have to take a step back defensively. Uh, and, you know, I use have to in quotes, but maybe he thinks he's going to have to kind of dial it back defensively. And that a lot of his value comes from that. So I think it'll be interesting to see how he finds that balance between the two sides and having to run an offense for 30-plus minutes and still be an effective, you know, energetic defender. Uh, he is so young that I guess he might be able to do that, in, uh, you know, using the, using the energy tank on both ends like that. But over, you know, 82 games as a starter for the first time, there's going to be some, uh, some tweaking there from Dennis as well to see what he can and can't do on both sides of the court. Yeah, I agree. Um, I was going to say uh, also, I mean, aside from that, the one question behind Dwight Howard, I think, is uh, really who his, his primary, primary backup is. Uh, Splitter is, uh, you know, famously battling the hip injury, uh, had surgery in January, and I think he'll be ready-ish for training camp, but that's kind of up in the air. And the, and the Hawks went ahead and re-signed Chris Humphreys as an insurance policy, I think, for Splitter as well. If, if everybody's healthy, do you think Splitter's still the backup center uh, coming out of camp? Um, and I know that's a big if if everybody's healthy because of Splitter, but I think the minutes shake out there if Splitter is able to kind of recapture his, uh, his pre-injury form. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I mean, it seems like they want to use Humphreys as a five as opposed to a four. I thought it was just weird because of, and I'll let you finish. I just thought it was weird when I I was I, I was walking down uh, Las Vegas Boulevard when I read that uh, that Chris Humphreys was uh, being re-signed, and I was it made me worry about Splitter a little bit because it was like I know they want to play Humphreys at the five, but then what happens to Splitter? You still have Tavares, and it's kind of a logjam there. Yeah, I got I wanted to think. You know, there's got to get used to the new hacker rules. You know, I think it's going to be similar to last year, if I remember right, that, you know, when you look at the Hawks substitution pattern, you know, they would try to get Horford out early in the first quarter, you know, maybe the six-minute mark, something like that, and then they'd bring him back in for the end of the first quarter. And I think you'll see the same thing for Howard because the end of quarters are the protected times where you're not going to be able to intentionally foul. So there's going to have to be a big who comes in early, early in the game. And, you know, do you want it to be offense? Do you want it to be defense? I think, you know, if, if you think about it, they might want Humphrey shooting. I mean, I think it might be Humphrey's space. The space is interesting. I just think, I think I'm, I think I'm higher on splitter than a lot of people have been. And last year he was never healthy. So I think a lot of Hawks fans didn't get to see the splitter that I have seen in, in, in San Antonio and, you know, being in an above average Certainly an above-average backup center, uh, at the very least, if he's healthy. But those guys do different things, and Humphrey's shooting could come in handy uh, offensively, especially because of the, you know a lot of this team is used to playing with a center who can shoot, and that's not Dwight Howard. 
So, you know, they, they do different things, which is, is helpful. I just don't, I'm not sure they want to use Humphreys at the four. Like, you know, can you, can you see a scenario where they're playing, you know, Dwight Howard and Chris Humphreys together at the four and five? Like, that seems like it's uh, going to be not ideal in the, uh, in the age of pace and space. No, I was, I was thinking, you know, I'm not really sure how it's going to shake up, but I think in terms of pairings, I think you kind of want to have, you know, maybe Humphreys come in for Howard early in the game and play Humphreys with Millsap some. And then, you know, if you, if you need to play splitter at some point, you might want to pair splitter with Mike Scott and, and use those two together. And I think th- that would be more, more natural pairings just in terms of shooting and presence and, and you know, interior, ex- uh, interior and uh, outside balance. Yeah, I think um, the pairings are going to be interesting, like you said. Another one that I wouldn't really love on paper is Humphreys and Scott playing right. together just because of the defensive worry in my mind. Uh, Scott's been better on that end uh, over the last year or so. I thought he was, uh, you know, pretty, pretty pretty reasonable defensively last year, you know, sort of the best year of his career on that end of the court. But still, you know, neither one of those guys is uh, anything better than average uh, defensively, and that could be on the kind side. I'll say that so you don't have to. Uh, but, yeah, it's, uh, it's one of those things – it's going to be interesting. I, I trust Bud to to do some uh, some tinkering earlier in the year uh, across the roster with rotations and stuff as these guys get leashed to each other and a lot of new blood. But it will be uh, interesting and intriguing to see who who the pairings end up being for the majority of the game because uh, the hack of stuff is interesting with Dwight as well and that you kind of have to hide him at times and you you want you're going to want him finishing finishing quarters much like I mean Detroit's going to have the same problem with Andre Drummond, uh, the Clippers with with DeAndre Jordan. There's going to be some uh, some some mechanics, some new mechanics uh, to get these centers out there. And say hello to your dog for me, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it happened. Wasn't expecting that, but yeah, it was good. I think you, I think you, I think you disagree. He or she disagreed with my point uh, vehemently there, but no. yeah. And and one pairing that that the Hawks used quite a bit last season was Scott with Millsap, and I think that might be the one that you see less of this season. Not because it didn't work. I mean, I thought it worked really well a lot of the time. Um, but just, I think, more of a conservation of Millsap. Uh, he played, I think, 81 games last season, and I don't think I've ever seen anyone sort of put forth the effort over 81 games that he did. Yeah, it was he was everywhere on both ends of the court. and He was, yeah, I mean, you know, maybe 80 out of the 81 games, you just kind of put your jaw on the table and said, I don't know how he does that with that kind of energy for as long a period as he did. And I think you know putting him at small fo- or putting him at power forward is probably less of a burden than when you put him at center with Scott and say, "Hey, you know, be everything for us inside." Oh, absolutely. I think Millsap, and I'm I love Millsap. I'm a little bit skeptical that he can do that entire act again, uh, just because he was you know you mentioned that workload was just so crazy. Uh, that was his best year of his career statistically as well, and obviously an all-defensive team inclusion for Millsap, and he's great, but it's it, it would be nice to see as his age goes up and up. Um, he's going to have to be uh, paired back a little bit, not, not necessarily in minutes, but more as uh, just workload. Um, and, you know, Howard helps some of that with his rebounding. That's, some, that's something most I've had to grind on a little bit more last year was as a rebounder. But uh, pairings are going to be interesting. And that small ball lineup with Millsap and Scott is it's great offensively, but the defense puts a whole big workload on, uh, on Millsap as, you know, effectively playing center. That's, that's a big ask for a guy at his size and his age. Yeah, and I agree that that's one of the benefits of Howard. I think you're going to have Millsap have a better year offensively. I think he'll shoot better and, and hit better percentages uh, this season, just because I think he's going to have more legs 
having Howard inside to help him on defense. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I can see that as well. Uh, I don't want to take up too uh, much of your time, so we'll, uh, we'll wrap it up here. But I wanted to let you uh, plug, plug yourself, plug your stuff from Hawks.com. Where can people find uh, all of your writing and your Twitter and all that stuff? Uh, on Twitter, it's KL Chouinard, um, K-L-C-H-O-U-I-N-A-R-D. And then uh, the stuff that I write goes on Hawks.com. Uh, and Kale is—he uh, he won't say this—but he's—he's one of the best in the business as far as uh, Hawks coverage. They do—they do a great job at Hawks.com. We—we uh, we chatted with Jerry Wilson last week. You should go back and listen to that podcast as well. But those guys do great work at Hawks.com, and uh, that's definitely worth reading on a regular basis. Uh, thanks a lot for coming on, man. Thank you. Uh, thanks again to everybody for listening. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Locked On Hawks and Facebook at Locked On Hawks, and also uh, you know subscribe on iTunes. Tell your friends, and uh, you should also be following the rest of the Locked On Podcast Network if you are interested in the NFL. We're now expanding to NFL teams. The Falcons don't have one just yet, but that's coming down the pike. And uh, stay tuned to all of those things. And as always, thanks for listening. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details.